This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. In another episode, I mentioned that the 90s were a very interesting time for animation. And part of the reason for that is because both film and television were entering into a renaissance era of sorts. Historically, film and TV animation haven't always been on the same page as far as quality. If one was up, the other was down. Due in large part to the advent of animation for television being relatively still new, and so the budget wasn't fully there yet. But the 90s found this rare convergence where film and television animation began to step into their own and really commanded the animation medium for their respective medium. Of course, when we think of 90s animation for television, we think of Nickelodeon with Hey Arnold, Rugrats, or Doug, or the Disney Afternoon lineup with DuckTales, Gargoyles, and shockingly, also Doug. Everyone wants a piece of Doug. However, there was one studio that I think silently reigned supreme, and that is Warner Brothers Animation. Yeah, Warner Brothers. This doesn't come completely out of left field, as WB is responsible for some of the greatest cartoon franchises of all time in the Looney Tunes, but it was also a special time for them in the 90s with Tiny Toons Adventures, Pinky and the Brain, one of the greatest comedies of all time, The Animaniacs, and the topic of this week's episode, Batman the Animated Series. All of these shows are worthy of a deep dive all on their own, especially the Animaniacs, but Batman the Animated Series is something truly special and that's what we're talking about today. A show that seemingly had every perfect piece of the puzzle that ultimately created one of the greatest shows ever made. Note, I didn't say one of the greatest animated shows ever made. I mean one of the greatest shows ever made, period. It was a really, really special show. And with the passing of the man who gave life to this Batman in Kevin Conroy, this week we're paying tribute to a truly special show in Batman the Animated Series. So if that sounds good to you, let's get started. So before we get into the um, the nitty gritty of this episode, I do want to say that this is not going to be a, you know, beat for beat this is how the show was made because I think there have been a lot of really great pieces that have come out. Um, a lot of great pieces that I have like pulled information from, but by no means is this going to be a like minute by minute breakdown of how the show was fully formed by the the creators. Um, there's a really great documentary that's available on YouTube on the official DC YouTube page that is like an hour and 30 minutes. That's a documentary basically about how the show came to be. It's really wonderful. It ha basically has everyone who had a major hand in the show is 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 in this documentary. I think it came out two years ago. So it's really good. So if you're interested in more of that side of things, highly recommend going and checking that out. There's also countless articles. Vulture did an oral history of the Batman, the animated series um, that came out in 2017, but they've since released it again. 
So I highly recommend you go and check that out. So, but this, this is kind of zooming out a little bit further and showing where the show exists and kind of the grand scheme of the television and animation landscape, what it meant in the moment and what it means now. So to lay the groundwork, the prime time spot of, so like a seven, eight, nine o'clock spot on TV, that is really, really valuable real estate, right? Like that is oftentimes the shows that are pulling in the most audience members to watch, like they are the big tentpole properties. And so oftentimes animation is kind of the the black sheep as far as getting doled out primetime spots. And when they are given primetime spots, they're often given to more family-centric shows, right? So this kind of began with Rocky and Bullwinkle way back in the, uh, the I think it was like early 60s or maybe late 50s. That was one of the first like primetime animation spots but the show that kind of turned the tides for that actually came a couple years after Rocky and Bullwinkle with you guessed it the Flintstones the Flintstones was a really big show for the time um and if you go back and watch the Flintstones it definitely has the family kind of feel right it's you know it's a family show it's animated everyone in the family can watch it but they definitely did treat the Flintstones as kind of almost like a primordial Simpsons-esque property where they could appeal to adults when necessary you can go and watch on YouTube actually um, a commercial with Barney and Fred promoting cigarettes and obviously cigarettes were you know not as deadly um as far as our public consciousness of them back in the in the 50s and 60s so obviously having a cartoon character promote cigarettes was like not going to be seen as like a pretty egregious thing but they were doing stuff like that like so the, the Flintstones kind of opened the door and made it possible for animated shows to really secure that primetime spot and of course the Simpsons kind of took it and just like kicked kicked down that door it really just busted everything wide open but then you get to the early 90s and we are kind of moving out of those shows that are just solely for the family and we're starting to kind of niche down with the shows that are able to secure a primetime spot and Batman the Animated Series was one of those shows of course could families watch Batman the Animated Series of course they could but it really was a show that was catering to a very specific genre or market of people in that they were kind of the tweens to almost like 20 somethings really who were big fans of the superheroes and they were going to be able to handle more mature themes so it's not the wacky goofy funny silly you know shows that were able to secure the primetime spot Batman the Animated Series allowed for a more mature but still animated show to be able to secure that really valuable time slot. And it, it proved to be pretty successful, I would say. Um, so that was kind of the, the the groundwork that we're working on. You know, there's not many animated shows that are able to secure that primetime spot that are similar in tone to Batman the Animated Series. And so it was really a first of its kind in that way. But you may be wondering, okay, how did it, how did we get to that point? Like, it, I don't think it just secured itself as this great tentpole show uh, out of nowhere, you know, like uh, why were people drawn to the show? And we really have to go back to how Batman had been seen in film and TV up until this point. So a lot of the con- the public consciousness of Batman 
was relegated to the 60s Batman with Adam West, which was very, you know, goofy. It was like the pow, bam, splat, like it was the, that type of thing. And anyone who like had a a long like tenure knowledge or history of Batman was relegated to those who read the comics. It wasn't as as far reaching as superheroes are now where everyone has a pretty big consciousness of of who these superheroes are back then it really was a very niche area of entertainment and like not everybody was on board with with superheroes as they are now and if you were you were probably you know a nerd who like owned the comics and collected comics or you were probably a little kid so it was a very specific group that was engaging with Batman regularly but mainly the the public idea of Batman was pretty goofy. And it's kind of crazy to think about that now because Batman is such this, you know, like brooding, like mysterious character. And he always like speaks in this gravelly tone and, you know, everything. And it's so different from what the idea of Batman was at, at this point. And so really the tides kind of began to turn, not with Batman the animated series, though that kind of opened up the door for it for sure but a lot of that began to turn with Tim Burton's iteration of Batman in the late 80s so the Michael Keaton Batman pretty much and a lot of those themes that we see present in Batman the Animated Series were beginning to be kind of built upon in the 1989 Batman film with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. You know, those ideas are starting to ruminate. We're starting to bubble up. We're starting to get this real divide personality wise between Bruce Wayne and and Batman. And that kind of brooding aspect of him is really starting to bubble up a little bit. Obviously, Michael Keaton definitely played him more in a uh, a little more of an, I wouldn't say upbeat, because Batman, <laughs> Bat, this version of Batman is not like upbeat, like he's not chipper, you know, especially not as chipper as the kind of Adam West version of Batman. But he was a little more, a little less brooding than other iterations of Batman have been, right? So this film, it opens up, people love it, it makes a, a ton of money i think it made 411.6 million dollars at the box office it was a hit it spawned a sequel batman returns that came out a couple of years later but it was beginning to to get people comfortable with the idea of batman being a much more complex character than we had given him credit for at this point not to say that adam the adam west batman was bad he was great i love the 60s batman because it's so campy and fun and just wacky and you just especially i think it's much more enjoyable now with the knowledge of where batman is today which is a lot more brooding so so to see you know comical batsy is kind of fun you know it makes it heightens the experience it makes it more fun to watch and also like the rogues gallery featured in the 60s batman is is great i mean you're not beating eartha kit as catwoman you're just not you're just not also i think caesar romero as joker 
which is just so high camp because that man literally refused to shave his like trademark mustache. And so they just paint it over it, you know, just paint over it. It's fine. So this is the op- this is the level of camp that that show was operating at. But like I said, Batman 1989 began to kind of pull some more mature themes out of the character and it got people really comfortable with it. And so in a television landscape that was happening in in film and obviously film and tv can go hand in hand in a lot of ways but a lot of that legwork was done in film and tv with superheroes you were kind of just had the more kitschy superhero shows that were catered to small kids so like i said i mentioned previously those who were interested in superheroes at this time tended to fall in those two groups which were you know, older people who were just nerds who probably collected comics, have been reading comics their whole life. Like they weren't, there weren't too many casual superhero fans. Um, It was kind of an in or you're out type of thing. But you had that group or you had smaller kids who were beginning to probably inherit comic books from, inherit comic books from, you know, parents or grandparents. They were reading these comics for the first time. They were really interested in these characters. And so you have shows like Superhero Friends, you know, which is kind of a a random conglomerate of all of these superheroes fighting very like topical crimes. Like there's not a ton of depth to them. Um, And also in that documentary that I mentioned that's on YouTube, they, a lot of the creators who went on to make Batman the Animated Series talked about how there were so many restrictions with shows like that because there are a lot of standards and practices around like what you could show on a kid's show and what you couldn't. And on Batman the Animated Series, they definitely pushed against that for sure. Like there was some, there were some guardrails that they had to operate within, but they definitely like went to as far as you possibly could go with what they what they could show. But on a lot of those shows, it was very much akin to the 60s Batman, which was not as campy, but a very just like simple action, nothing too crazy. You're not showing like gratuitous violence or anything. The storylines aren't all that deep <laughs> like they're just very kind of standard superhero fare right um just something that a child could watch maybe on saturday morning like a saturday like typical saturday morning cartoon fair and so that was kind of where where we're operating at as far as what people know superman or superhero media to be on on television now this isn't to say that every single piece of superhero media on television was like that but a lot of it was um and i like to to that point a lot of the creators on batman the animated series have even noted that they drew a lot of inspiration from the fleischer version of superman so like it i'm not saying that every single one of the shows that came out around this time were just like awful and terrible and just so like not kitschy but just simple you know what I mean like but a lot of a lot of them a lot of them were a lot of them were all of that is converging this conversation of Batman is coming back up because of you know these different properties and that means Warner Brothers is taking note and they're just like okay we've got something here so off of the success of the Tim Burton Batman movies They then have a meeting in the early 90s um, with then head of Warner Brothers Animation, Jean McCurdy. And she's the president at the time. And she explains in this big meeting to all of these people that are working at Warner Brothers Animation and, and larger that one of the properties that they're interested in is Batman. And so a 
a staffer on a little show called Tiny Toons Adventures named Bruce Tim hears this and he's just like, okay, I want to do this. And so he goes back to his desk and he starts just drawing out Batman and gets a vision for for the show. And then comes in a guy named Eric Radomski and both of them together, who if you know anything about the show, they are the co-creators of the show. They come together and they have this vision of of Batman. It's this very, you know, dark kind of adult oriented take on on Batman. And I think that part is so funny to me because so much of who were like the people who were comprised of the staff of the show came from Tiny Toons Adventures. So they were animating these, you know, tiny kind of versions of of Looney Tunes characters that were very wacky and silly. And they were all chomping at the bit to do this more kind of adult oriented superhero show. And so they all they come they come over from from Tiny Toons and Batman is starting to get going. And it really kind of feels like this very ragtag team of of people that were kind of flying by the seat of their pants when making the show. It's like I said in the in the intro, it's kind of the perfect convergence, right? Of, you know, you have great animators, you have, you know, great showrunners, you have great executive producers, you have, you know, great executives at the top of it who are advocating for it. So it's all these things that are working together to really make this kind of lightning in a bottle show. So all of these, the pieces of the puzzle have to kind of come together here. And they were figuring out how they wanted to, you know, what they wanted the show to feel like, what they wanted the show to, to look like. So they borrowed a lot of the like art deco kind of noir uh, stylings that came from the, the Tim Burton movies and kind of brought their own flavor to it. So um, Bruce Tim, along with a man named Paul Dini, who had done have written so many amazing episodes of the show and a writer named Mitch Bryan all put together this kind of show Bible and a show Bible. If you haven't heard of it is usually kind of a couple of pages that explain who characters are settings, story. Like it's kind of just the, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the Bible for the show. It's kind of the guidelines for the show. And so they make this really robust show Bible for Batman the Animated Series. And you can just tell that they had such a keen understanding and were huge fans of Batman and just fans of the property that they were going to put their their all into, into the show. And so the introduction of the show Bible is actually really, really interesting. Um, and I'd like to read it to you. It goes, quote, one thing and one alone keeps Gotham from drowning in a sea of corruption and despair. It is a grim being cloaked as much in mystery as he is in shadow. Like a bat, he dives out of the night to feed on Gotham's evil. To some, he is merely a legend. To others, he's a dedicated, driven Avenger. And to criminals, he is their worst nightmare. He is Batman. So <laughs> you can definitely tell that like this was one of the first times, like I said, going you know back to the top of the episode how like people weren't used to this very dark and by this point this is probably the darkest take on um on Batman and so like this is the tone of the show like they're they're setting the tone that this is not going to be wacky goofy silly Batman this is not going to be super altruistic Batman like he this is a very brooding version of the character and they're trying to do something a little bit more emotionally complex with not just Batman slash Bruce Wayne but with all the characters that involved and if you've seen the show you can definitely attest that 
this show really wanted to explore the kind of the good and bad of every single character. So it wasn't just every hero is good and every villain is bad. They explored the kind of ups and downs of each character, the failings of of Bruce and Batman and his kind of like going back and forth between these two halves of himself. But then also like they kind of explore the sometimes good of certain um like villains like the Mr. Freeze episode comes to mind. So they kind of go in a around about like around robin way of sharing kind of the good and bad with all these characters and then you get a really complex cast from that you know you're not just because i think the the format of hero fights bad guy can get stale pretty quickly you'll enjoy it you'll love it seeing the action and everything but it can get pretty stale pretty fast so this show was able to i think they had over 100 episodes they were able to kind of bring in these you know, elements that made it engaging every single time you were watching it. Like, yeah, some, some episodes may borrow like these, these, um, all these themes that we are used to in superhero media up until that point, but every episode felt unique. And there were some episodes that kind of broke out of that mold and those are super duper memorable. So they are pulling together this, this team of people. And of course, like he finds his way into every single episode of this podcast somehow. Steven Spielberg is also involved. Steven Spielberg was heavily involved in like WB animation at this time. He was an executive producer on Tiny Toons Adventures and the Animaniacs. And he might've been an executive producer on Batman the Animated Series. I'm not quite sure, but he was involved in the production of it and was involved in the kind of the funding and helping to find resources and everything for the show. Um, Because I think Warner Brothers kind of perspective on the show was like, okay, we're going to take a leap of faith on you, but you kind of, you got to do it. You kind of got to go, you know, balls to the wall and and do it. And they definitely did that. They leaned all the way in (laughs) into like putting their best selves forward. Um, And it shows, I mean, like every single aspect of, of this show is 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 firing on all cylinders right um so I want to take a second to kind of go a little bit deeper into the show and like what elements of it made it stand out and what made it super different and one of the things is visually the show is so fun to look at and it's really due in part to how it was animated so one of the one of my favorite pop culture facts is that the animation for Batman the animated series was done on dark paper. Usually, obviously, in animation, you're you're tending to animate on light paper. At this time, it was 2D animation, so it was being done by hand. Um, and so you're obviously animating on on a light background. And so then you add in shadows and color and everything. But for Batman the animated series to really contribute to that dark gritty noir look they animated on a darker background which is like a small thing but it's just so like ah you know like they were they were willing to kind of turn things on their head and find different ways to really convey the the look and feel of the show that goes beyond you know any line of dialogue or anything like that like to animate on a dark background and kind of use the negative space to create these different um you know, shots and the buildings and the characters and everything, I think is just really interesting. And you can really see that technique, um, like, splayed out 
for in the opening uh, sequence of the show, like the the opening intro. Um, it is one of the, first of all, you've got the immaculate, you know, composition like going from Shirley Walker, who did the, the music for the show. That that she did the score for the show. So you have her score blaring in the background. It's going. You see these like kind of uh, very dynamic shots of these villains and then Batman is catching them and then you have that one last shot where it's Batman on top of the building and then the lightning cracks and it's just like it's just so badass like (laughs) I wish there was a better a better word that I had for it but it's just truly badass like it's so cool and I remember watching this as a kid um and and just thinking about what I was looking at for the first time, because I've, I'm, I didn't grow up like reading the comics. No one in my family is a super big, you know, comics fan, um, or anything like that. So a lot of my, uh, interest in, in superheroes is kind of, you know, me figuring things out for myself. So Batman, the animated series is the first superhero thing that I remember watching as a kid. Um, cause I definitely grew up in kind of the, the peak of the DC animated universe. And so there were a lot of shows that were on at the time. And I remember watching kids WB and they would play Batman, the animated series and like the new Batman adventures and everything. By the time the show had been like off for a while and they were definitely in the throes of syndication. So that's how I found it. But it was Batman, the animated series and Spider-Man 2, the movie, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man that got me interested in superheroes for the first time. But this show was so fascinating to me because it was trusting. I even knew as a kid, it felt like I was watching something adult. Like I felt super cool watching it because it was, it almost felt like they were trusting me with these more adult like stories and more adult visuals, even though it wasn't anything that like couldn't be shown to a kid necessarily. It definitely felt more mature. And me as a kid, I felt mature watching it. I was like, oh, I got to go watch my my stories, my Batman stories like they're on right now. And that this show is like so paramount in that being the direction that things um, went in. And so and that's also like the, the visuals of it, too, definitely don't look they're not because they chose to literally animate on dark paper. Things aren't as bright and flashy. Like you kind of have to really zero in on the show and really pay attention to what you're looking at um, because everything is just a lot, a lot darker. Um, the show also borrows a lot of visual um I guess it pays a lot of visual homage to some really interesting kind of, um, I would say, really interesting visual movements. Um, so there's a lot of kind of German expressionism that is seen in the show, especially with how the the, the buildings kind of cave up. Um, there's just so much artistic licensing that's that was brought to the show and to do like a noir art deco look for for batman it makes sense obviously but to infuse that in the show i think made it also really visually like it stood out um especially from other you know things that were on at the time that were very bright and flashy and fun and and wacky you know um this was very dark and grounded and serious um, but still, just there are certain shots in this um, in this show that are just stunning to look at. Like even if you're 
you're not super into the show and you don't really know what's in the shot. There are just some stills and um, things from the show that I'm just like, wow, like this is really, this is just a really good piece of art. And that's just testament to everyone that worked on the show. Um, being just really good artists, being really good artists, caring about the the characters, caring about Batman and being able to bring that level of expertise to the show. So on the one hand, you have the visual element with the animation and, you know, all the the things that they brought in that respect. But, you know, animation is is a two way street. It's a bit of a tango. Yes, it's the the visual, but it's also what you hear. Um, I love animation because it really is this kind of, you know, beautiful dance between this art that is visual and art that is auditory. And that comes in this amazing, literally amazing voice cast for this show, led by the incredible, the incomparable, the amazing Andrea Romano, who was the voice director for the show. I am not a voice actor, but if I could ever be like voice directed by Andrea Romano, I will be a happy little clam. Like she is incredible she is responsible for so much of the like best like vo work um in in film and tv she's a powerhouse i mean like it's there's no mincing words like she just she just is and so much of that she's the casting director and so much of that comes in her willingness to kind of be right there with the actors when they're giving these performances and she's directing them. Um, she said in the documentary that I, I mentioned earlier that um, she would never ask an actor to do anything that she wouldn't do. So when she's directing them, like if they're crying, she's crying. If they're yelling, she's yelling. Like she's meeting them right where they're at. And I think it helps to, you know, have someone who's not just being like, okay, this is the action, do it. You know, like her being there with the actor, working it out together, and then ultimately getting this really, really great performance. It's just genius. I She's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Um, she's wonderful. So, sorry, that was a tangent. <laughs> just, she's, she's just great. I don't know. I, I just really appreciate her. Um, but she was the, the voice director for the show, and you can just when you have a good voice director and then you also have a really good cast of people who are doing, who are able to do all of this stuff, even if you didn't have a good voice director directing them, but like, because they had Andrea Romano and then you got this great cast, you were going to have some really just like, like almost like this is too good, insane work being done. Um, so obviously heading the charge, leading the charge, you have the incredible Kevin Conroy, who is this iteration's Batman. He is Batman. He is Bruce Wayne. Um, Kevin Conroy means so much to me because, like I said, this was the first superhero thing that I had ever seen in my life and ever really loved. And so he is he is my Batman. He's the first Batman. He is kind of the only Batman <laughs> in, in my head. And in these past couple of days, um, at the time of recording this, he passed away a couple of days ago. And so in kind of just thinking about his his legacy, especially as Batman, I am reminded of the fact that like every Batman, there have been Batman 
before Kevin Conroy and there have been Batman after Kevin Conroy but he is he is the mark you know he is the standard for me like even when watching The Batman which came out this year directed by Matt Reeves starring Robert Pattinson one of my favorite movies from this year loved it uh saw it three times in the theater on the third time I almost dislocated my shoulder leaving it so uh I have a lot of fond memories (laughs) about The Batman but even in that which is like you know a iteration of Batman and I've made a video talking about how that movie harkens back to to Batman the animated series and I think that's why it was so successful we'll get into that a little bit later but even in that even though as as much as I love Robert Pattinson's portrayal I'm like I mean he's still not Kevin Conroy you know like he's still he's like Kevin Conroy is so so Batman to me like he is just he is that character like um, I was talking to to a friend after Kevin's passing and he was saying he's like, you know, when I would read the Batman comics, like Kevin Conroy's voice is who I would read Batman as like he's his his performance was so great in that show that it his the legacy of it is so pervasive in, a, in the most beautiful way. Um, and it is he brought a level of this are there's already this emotionally complex show that's happening around Batman right like it's how it's being animated is how it's being written like the situations that the characters are being put in like these are asking more of these characters than there ever has been asked of them but then you have the main character the central focus of the show and in Batman and you have Kevin Conroy who is able to beautifully balance the the Bruce and Batman of it all. You know, like I think Batman is at his best when he is really contending with who he is as Batman and who he is as Bruce Wayne. And in that documentary, Con- Kevin Conroy mentioned that when he got the 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 idea that Batman is not the alter like the alter ego of Bruce Wayne. Batman is who he really is and Bruce Wayne is the alter ego like he is the the kind of the, the disguise you know um and once he got that he really understood the the really core tenets of the character and you can definitely tell that um I've gone back and watched a few clips from from the show and there are just so many moments where yes Batman is this like very gruff and like like Bruce <laughs> very gruff and brooding character but he has so many moments of introspection too um there's one uh i can't remember which episode it's from but it's a episode where uh commissioner gordon he gets hurt uh pretty pretty seriously and batman takes it pretty hard because he feels like he is responsible and so he goes um it's a scene where batman and robin are talking and Robin is trying to console Batman and say, like, you know, it's not your fault. Like, people need you. And Kevin Conroy gives this beautiful monologue kind of explaining the inner workings and doubts that Batman has about himself. He's like, I, you know, someone's going to take me down one day, maybe Joker, maybe Two-Face, maybe some punk who gets lucky. But, like, someone's going to take me down one day and I am I'm struggling with the the need to be this vigilante and to help people but also the people that I'm around always end up hurt and he then goes on and says you know like I've he goes into the idea of him being commodified he's like uh they sell t-shirts of me like you know 
am I even what I began this whole journey to be anymore? Like, am I this, you know, kind of parishioner of, of justice anymore? And it was such a gripping scene because it was not just the superhero questioning, am I a good superhero? But it's this man who has gone through so much in his life, really working through how do I figure out the balance between the superhero or this hero that I that I think I am, but also working through my own trauma, obviously with his parents, and how do I contend with that? And this show really is like, consistently doing that and it was just part and parcel to to the work of Kevin Conroy I mean it was it's it's an amazing performance honestly and it, it's 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 one of the best uh VO performances I think I've ever heard of in my life it will remain that way um you know I miss it's 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 been a, a crazy kind of time you know remembering Kevin Conroy's legacy as Batman and in that revisiting the show and you just really it was one of those deaths that you hear you're just like ouch you know like you're like oof you know what I mean um but his his legacy that he's left especially via the show is is incredible and it's it's so wonderful to go back and and watch those episodes and and get to hear moments like that again um it's amazing so yeah, ah, I made it through that without crying. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> but not even just Kevin Conroy in the show, but also one of the 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 biggest parts of the Batman Rogues Gallery. One of the greatest foils to the Caped Crusader, obviously, is the Joker. And in this version of the uh, the Bat Batterverse, if you will, he is played by the incredible Mark Hamill. Um, originally, fun fact, they casted Tim Curry as the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. And I think he had recorded and it and like the animation work was done for probably like I think maybe four episodes, maybe um like work had been done. The the track had been laid down, you know, it was it was it was done uh with with the show and there was apparently a, a producer who had come on to the show who wasn't the biggest fan of Tim Curry's performance as the Joker and so Andrea Romano she was like okay I gotta I gotta rethink this I gotta find someone else who can do this character in the kind of not the same way as Tim Curry but to kind of meet that level of gravitas that Tim Curry brings to his roles and then also like sing too because in the very first episode that we see of the Joker it's like a Christmas episode I think and he sings in that episode so then she finds Mark Hamill and I think there was discussion amongst the the showrunners and the creators they were just like Mark Hamill can we get Mark Hamill? Like if we can get Mark Hamill, let's get Mark Hamill. But can we get Mark Hamill? And so they got Mark Hamill. And he comes into the show, comes into the dynamic of the show and is genius. Like I don't, there's no other real way to describe what Mark Hamill brings to the Joker, but it's genius. Again, Kevin Conroy is my first Batman. Mark Hamill is my first Joker. So again, the standard of Joker is Mark Hamill and Heath Ledger. Those two kind of run 
concurrently with me as far as like judging a, a good joker of course it should be jack nicholson but i love mark hamill's joker what do you want me to say but he was the perfect foil to to kevin conroy's batman because the joker is just an agent of chaos joker is at his best when he is not given rhyme or reason for the evil that he does he just does he is simply someone who wants to watch the world burn and will laugh when it happens like that is joker at his best and at his finest for me and that is mark hamill's joker like he is can be so conniving and just so just nasty just downright nasty but then also he just has these weird moments of, of genius and you're just like who are you like you're watching this character and you're just like you are something you know <laughs> um so the, mark hamill and especially coming off of the fact that mark hamill is also like he is a, a, a also a very varied actor because I knew him from Batman the Animated Series, but largely people know him as one of the greatest protagonists of all time in Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars franchise. So it's just like he can do both. You know what I'm saying? Like it's really great when you can find an actor who can be as altruistic and upbeat and, you know, positive as Luke Skywalker, but then you can have them be just as conniving and just nasty as the joker it's a it's a really it's an incredible performance um obviously like it's it's great it's great and branching off of of the joker we have the character who is my favorite character in the dc universe which is dr harleen quinzel aka harley quinn she wasn't given that name i don't think until later in it might have been in the comics actually but Harley Quinn, fun fact, is a creation of Batman the Animated Series. Harley Quinn didn't exist before then. She was created for for the series. And so they wanted to bring in kind of this uh, like clown girlfriend or clown henchman for, for the Joker to kind of like bounce off of. And so Paul Dini remembered that he had a friend from college named Arlene Sorkin. And at the time she was on, uh, like she was in the and so Paul Dean was like, I think this is this is perfect for this character that we're trying to create a reel of sorts of her work on the soap opera. And in that she there was a scene from the show where she was dressed up as this clown. They create the character of Harley Quinn and they actually bring in Arlene to, you know, audition for the role of of harley the character that she inspired and obviously she got the part and so arlene sorkin is the very first harley quinn and so harley quinn has kind of taken on this you know life of her own for sure and she's one of the first characters that has been created for a tv show that has then gotten an origin story in the comics i think they wrote an origin story after the show or maybe like during the show but after her introduction in the show um into the comics so then she was given comics origins and obviously harley quinn is a character that has taken on like i said a life of her own she's you know she's got her own tv show on hbo max which is really really great and she's played by kaylee kyoko um she is played by margot robbie like she's been played by tara strong who is also in batman the animated series as batgirl so it is it's a rich tapestry, you know what I mean? But Harley Quinn is one of my favorite characters and Arlene Sorkin's, uh, you know, iteration of hers. Phenomenal, obviously, like everyone in this show. Um, but she's just so fun because 
Joker is so mean and they don't really explore the toxic parts of their dynamic too much in the show and it's much more fleshed out with like the Margot Robbie like uh HBO Max Harley Quinn show um they explore the kind of the bad parts of their relationship but in Batman the animated series Joker and Harley kind of go back and forth is almost this kind of um this very odd couple style and Joker is constantly berating Harley and it's it's interesting to to watch, but it's crazy that, you know, with a this very iconic iteration of Joker is playing opposite of this new character who then becomes an icon in her own right. It's the power of Harley Quinn, you know what I mean? So I could go on forever, literally, about every single person in this show because there's everyone, I think, who, who touched this show um, brought it a sense of, just just goodness and and expertise and just great stuff you know what I mean to the character um like I said I mentioned a little bit Tara Strong she was in I think the last the last 24 episodes of the show were called the new Batman adventures and in that she played uh Batgirl again phenomenal work it's it's Tara Strong Tara Strong is amazing come on um but yeah so all of these voice actors came in did a a really great job directed by andrea romano just an absolute pillar of of voice acting and just an icon in her own right so all of these things were working together to create this amazing show and so as we begin to to wrap up here because i thought i would not have enough to talk about (laughs) On this, on this episode, but I have definitely waxed poetic about um, a lot of aspects of the show. I want to close with kind of where does we talked about what Batman the animated series met in the time it won Emmys. You know, it's been critically acclaimed. Like it was a show that many people loved and enjoyed, and still love and enjoy. And they were there were some episodes of it that were ridiculously good um it's one in 1993 it won outstanding writing in an animated program at the daytime emmys um and it also won a primetime emmy for outstanding animated program also in 1993 and it won a few daytime emmys in 96 as well uh for like sound editing music direction etc so batman the animated series has Kind of like I when I mentioned at the top of the episode where the Flintstones kind of opened the door for animation and kind of the prime time space, Batman took that door and just threw it across across the room and also simultaneously opened up the door for where we are right now with the superhero genre. I'm not going to fully credit Batman the Animated Series because I know there will probably be some people that are like, well, what about this? I think Batman the Animated Series and a series that I think premiered a month later x-men the animated series both kind of jointly whether they realize it or not uh they it was a joint effort between them to create this sense that superheroes could be a little more serious and the a younger audience could pick up what they were putting down pretty much both shows um have episodes that deal with a little bit of like heavier themes i tend to prefer batman the animated series but x-men the animated series is also really, really good. But 
specifically with Batman the animated series, it opened the door fully for the DC animated universe, the DCAU. And the DCAU, I think, is DC at their best, their best work, their best stuff. And I say this as someone who grew up watching, you know, the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, like all of these shows showcase these characters at their finest. And animation, I think, inherently is the best medium for superheroes because you can draw them however you want. Um, you're not bound by can a human physically do this even with special effects and like as far as we've come with VFX work I think animation like traditional drawn cartoons if you will are the best best vehicle the best medium for for this type for these types of stories and for these types of characters and a show like Batman the animated series is proof positive of that I think um so many shows came after it. Like I said, the new Batman Adventures, which is um, basically kind of the latter half of the Batman the Animated Series show. You have Batman Beyond, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, like all these things came from and were heavily influenced by the work that was done on this show. And so much of of what we... I think love about the superhero genre began with with this series like a lot of the themes the treating these stories with a little more care and emotional complexity is really has come from Batman the animated series it's come from this show um and like I said at the the top of the episode, one of the biggest influences that have that's come from, or one of the biggest properties that has been influenced by the Batman or by Batman the animated series is the Batman. Um, and I want to quickly explain, very quickly. I'm not going to. It's this episode's already long enough. But I mentioned that I think the reason why the Batman was so popular was because it harkens back to Batman the animated series and it's true um a lot of the the strength of the Batman and like the strongest themes in it um amongst a lot of other things are that it returns to Batman's kind of noir detective roots and that was something that was really key with Batman the animated series like Batman is, is as much of detective as he is a superhero like he's always on the case he's trying to like figure stuff out and the Batman really brought back to the kind of core tenets of of the show or like kind of cardinal truths which is number one um it was kind of centered on the it exploring the deep-rooted lore of the batman from the comics and then they adapted those stories for a contemporary audience in addition to kind of tackling real world issues like poverty greed exploitation etc they also had a really great interest in exploring the delicate balance between Batman and Bruce Wayne like I mentioned earlier and it made Gotham a character I think in past Batman iterations um Gotham was just kind of a place where the crime was happening that Batman was fighting um but it wasn't really until probably the Tim Burton Batman films that Gotham began to be its own character and then in a TV show that's like a hundred or so episodes you can expand upon that obviously so Gotham becomes its own character becomes its own thing you know and the Batman was successful because it, it really t- 
tapped back into those those things that the TV show had kind of laid as like if you want to do a Batman right, you gotta you have to touch on these 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 topics these things of note. And really, the TV show was just trying to honor the comics created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, um, you know, and the character created by them that was able to you know kind of portray this this larger than life superhero character so all of it is you know it works together like I said very rich tapestry of course but to to wrap up everything Batman the animated series like I said is one of the best tv shows ever made from top to bottom from the show itself to the production of the show to the show like the the story behind all of that it is a show that like I said, was truly this lightning in a bottle moment. It had all the perfect pieces. The animation was incredible. The direction was incredible. The voice direction was incredible. The voice acting was incredible. The time in which it was premiering was incredible because they had executives, like I said, Gene McCurdy, who were willing to just be like, okay, we trust you guys. We're going to give you the resources and you got to take this thing to the moon. And they took it to the moon, the stars, you know, all the way to freaking Pluto. Like they, they took it as far as they could possibly go with it. And it just laid the groundwork for what we love about superheroes today. I think it really truly can be tied back to this series. And, and, and that's across not just like DC, but like Marvel too. Like how Marvel tells stories is very Batman, the animated series-esque to me. Like it's the, the risks that it's willing to take the trusting the audience with a certain level of emotional complexity, the willingness to play with kind of good and bad in the villains and in the in the heroes, like all of those things the show had and has since carried on in its legacy to to other properties. Oh my goodness. So that was a doozy up episode, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go binge all of Batman the Animated Series right now, so my brain is kind of elsewhere. I get that. And actually, I'm right behind you. Um, but I've left all of that information in the description box down below for whenever you're ready. You can check it out there. As you can probably tell, I spend a little bit of time researching episodes, especially big deep dive episodes like this. And so this episode this week is powered by the immaculate score of Batman the Animated Series composed by the incredible Shirley Walker. If you have not listened to just the raw score of that show, highly recommend it. It's very good. It makes you feel like a superhero while you're typing, you know, like you just it's like, ah, I'm doing superhero work, even though you're scripting a podcast about a cartoon if you're me um but the score is is really really great it's a phenomenal score try and find it if you can on physical media too because i'm sure it would sound you know really great coming out of like actual physical media like a cd or a vinyl or something but i hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive
Later days, friends. Are you a Marvel fan? Matt, you know I am. Jeff, I was asking the listener. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it seemed like a weird question because, you know, we've been doing a Marvel podcast together for nine years now. No, no, I was trying to grab the attention of all the Marvel fans out there for this ad. Oh. I thought it was weird, too. You should definitely warn us. Good note, Ashley. Well, if you like Marvel movies and TV as much as we do, join us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. He did it again. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically, our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love wherever you're listening now.